Welcome to the Battle Ready Sermon Podcast with Captain Rob Westwood Payne. So we turn back to Genesis chapter 45 and verses 1 uh, to 15. And uh, this is holiday season, so a number of people are away. Some of you may well have flown on an aeroplane at some point over the last month or so, or looking forward to doing that soon, or having done it sometime during the year. I don't think I've been on the plane since about 2018, but um, I think we are in October. Um, But if you've ever been on a plane, then you will know about the airline safety briefing that they always do before you take off. I suspect you've probably not seen one like this before. If you do decide to leave, you will not be allowed access back on board and parachutes are not included. (laughs) Here at Frontier Airlines, we like to keep up with all the latest fashion trends. In the event that this flight becomes a cruise, all of you lucky people get your own itsy-bitsy, teeny-weeny, yellow falcon dot bikinis beneath your seat. (laughs) Minus the itsy-bitsy, teeny-weeny, and you get no polka dots. Once you're outside the aircraft, pull down sharply on the red tab that's on the front. Or for those of you who love to make life difficult, you can blow into that red tube near your shoulder to blow. <laughs> the beautiful bikini is equipped with a water-activated light. How in the world that works, I have no idea. So if you figure it out, please do let me know. And if by chance yours does not inflate, well, grab your neighbor and hold on for dear life. <laughs> the location and use of life vests for your child that shows the most potential is located in that safety information card. If needed, due to a loss of cabin pressure, four oxygen masks will drop from a compartment over your head. Ignore those and grab your nearest flight attendant to get some air. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm so lonely. Once you stop screaming, place that mask over your nose and turn off. To adjust, pull on the elastic tabs on either side. Make sure to adjust your own mask before assisting your favorite child, another passenger, or your husband who's definitely screaming louder than you are. And let's be honest, only those of you that pay the extra $49.99 get any oxygen. Smoking of any kind is not allowed on the aircraft. Unless you're like me and you're smoking hot. Thank you so much for your attention. Sit back, relax, and enjoy your flight to Colorado Springs. And for those of you who didn't give us your full attention, good luck. Even in that safety briefing, it was pretty clear that one of the most important pieces of safety equipment, particularly if you're flying over water, is the life jacket. The life jacket will preserve your life. It will ensure that you float and you don't sink to the bottom of the sea. It will have a whistle and a light attached to it, even if you don't know quite how the light works. Um, But it will help you to attract attention so that you can be saved. I don't know if you noticed, but in our Bible reading this morning, there was a life jacket. Did you notice the life jacket in the Bible reading this morning? Genesis chapter 45, verse 5. Joseph says to his brothers, don't, but don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives, to be a life preserver, to be a life jacket for his brothers. And he had to look beyond his resentment and anger to be able to carry that out. I guess that a lot of you will know the family context Joseph's family was euphemistically a blended family. 
Joseph's father Jacob had two wives and at least two concubines. That's a blended family, isn't it? And he had a favourite. His favourite wife was Rachel. And amongst his 12 sons, and goodness knows how many daughters, because the daughters were not recorded, her son Joseph is his father's favourite. I guess if you ever went to Sunday school, then you know about Joseph and his coat of many colours. If you've ever been to see the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical, then you will know about his coat of many colours. And that very young in his life, the 11 brothers got very sick of his arrogance and the fact that he was his father's favourite. And when Jacob sends Joseph out into the fields to check whether his brothers are caring after the sheep rightly or not, their resentment boils over. They decide to beat some humility into him. But then things take a very dark course and they decide to up the ante. And they end up throwing him into a pit and then selling him to some passing slave traders. And to cover up their sin, they decide to dredge his coat through animal blood and take it back to his father Jacob and tell him that wild beasts have killed his favourite son. Now, I don't know what your family's like. I don't know whether you would describe them as functional or dysfunctional, but that is one dysfunctional family. But now, in Genesis 45, we are about two decades on. Joseph is a distant memory for his father and for his brothers. And the family find themselves suffering famine in their land. And as a last-ditch attempt to save his family, Jacob sends his sons into nearby Egypt to find food. And what do you know? The high and mighty Egyptian official that they have to beg for, for grain, is Joseph himself. He's not just survived through, it has to be said, a story that would make a good soap opera, but he's prospered. Joseph has had two decades to brood on what his brothers did to him. He's had 20 years for the resentment and the anger to build in him until it is boiling over. And now he finds himself face to face with the brothers who threw him into a pit and then sold him into slavery. There they are kneeling prostrate before him on the ground begging for food. What is Joseph going to do? He could do what he likes. He is the second most powerful man in Egypt. If he decided to lop their heads off there and then, nobody would have battered an eyelid. If he'd said to the palace guards, seize them, throw them into the torture chambers, and we'll have some fun, they would have carried out his orders. But instead, through the grace of God, he chooses to see how God has used his brother's sin for his good. And so in verse 8, he says to them, it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all Egypt. And why? So that I could save your life, so I could preserve your lives. I could be your life jacket. 
the second most powerful man in Egypt. And he sees the fear and bewilderment in their eyes as they recognize the son, the brother that they sold into slavery. But he decides to show them a loving and forgiving heart. He chooses to forgive them and to effect reconciliation. And that was only possible because of his knowledge of God's providential care throughout all that he's been through. He could see that God had overruled their hate and their cruel actions and worked it all out for not just his good, but their good too. And that's not to say that God excused their sin. But God is more powerful than our sin and he can work and accomplish his purposes even over and above our sin. He even has a heart to tell them not to be angry with themselves for what they had done. And he invites them to see God's hand in it all too. How he'd sent them ahead of them to save their lives. And so instead of resentment and anger and throwing into jail and all sorts of other things that could have happened at this moment in Joseph's story, there are tears and joy. There are confessions and admissions of guilt. Forgiveness is reiterated again and again until the brothers finally get it. There are kisses and weeping, all because Joseph made the choice to forgive rather than to hold on to resentment and anger. I wonder what strikes you most about this story. I wonder what strikes you most about this story. If we're honest, maybe the thing that strikes us most is just how unfair it is. It is grossly unfair. Through his brother's actions of throwing him into a pit and then selling him into slavery, Joseph's life was changed forever. And the things that he went through after that were not all great. Jacob had spent a lifetime mourning the loss of a son who was still alive. The brothers seemed to get away with what they'd done for years and now they seem to be getting away with it again through Joseph's forgiveness. And not just his forgiveness, but Joseph is going to, to, to save them. He's going to be their brother's life jacket. It has to be said that when we know the story, preserving their lives is the last thing that we can expect to happen. Where is the justice in that? Where is the justice? It just seems so unfair. To help us understand the story, maybe a story from the Native American tradition will help us. A boy once came to his grandfather, full of anger because another child had done him an injustice. The grandfather sits him down and says, let me tell you a story. I too, like you, have felt hatred to those who've done me wrong. Especially those who show no sorrow for what they've done. But hatred wears you down. It does nothing to hurt your enemy. 
Hatred is like taking poison and hoping that your enemy will die. I've struggled with it so many times. He said to his grandson, it's as if there are two wolves living inside of me. One wolf is a good wolf. He does no one any harm. He lives in harmony with the animals and the humans around him, takes no offence at anything, and he only fights when it's right to do so. And he fights in the right way. The other wolf inside of me is full of anger. The slightest irritation sets him into a fit of rage. He fights everyone all the time for no reason. He cannot think clearly because of his hatred and his anger. It's all overwhelming, all consuming. And let me tell you, grandson, it is hard to live with these two wolves because both of them want to dominate me. The grandson looks into the eyes of his grandfather and says, so which one wins, grandpa? And the grandfather replies, the one I feed. The one I feed. You see, forgiveness is not about justice. It's about preserving your life and the life of those around you. Forgiveness isn't easy. If you're going to forgive, then you have to acknowledge the hurt and pain that has been caused in your life, and that is not easy. But forgiveness does seek to move on. It does seek to preserve life, to enhance life. So we have to ask ourselves this morning, what burden of anger and resentment might be might we be holding onto this morning? What might be carrying we may be carrying around with us today? Which of the wolves are we feeding? Are we feeding the bad wolf? Are we feeding the angry wolf? How long have we been feeding it? Maybe it's time to let go of that anger and resentment today. Maybe it's time to reach out for that life jacket of forgiveness. Maybe it's time to say, God, it's not about justice now. It's about preserving my life. It's about preserving the life of those around me. If you're holding on to resentment and anger, then there is no doubt that it is probably causing you more pain and anguish than it is the person you need to forgive. Maybe this morning is the moment to say, it's time to let go and let God deal with it. God will preserve your life. God will preserve the life of those around you. And he will see that justice is done. We're going to sing together song 850 in the songbook. This is a beautiful song that's been added to our songbook in recent years. It reminds us that we are forgiven people. 
and in it we make prayers and promises. I then shall live as one who's been forgiven. I'll walk with joy to know my debts are paid. So greatly pardoned, I'll forgive my brother. The law of love I gladly will obey. I then shall live as one who's learned compassion. I've been so loved that I'll risk loving too.